When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the first time since the first episode, I can't say welcome back to Murph's Boston Sports Talk because today is a Thursday episode, first ever Thursday episode, Thursday special, and I guess I guess I could say welcome back, but I would have usually said welcome back to Friday, Monday, Wednesday's episode, but nonetheless, welcome to Murph's Boston Sports Talk Thursday special. Yes, I am bringing a fresh episode to you on Thursday. As I did say in the last episode, I was not going to be around in studio to record for a Friday episode due to my trip to Florida. So therefore, I figured the best way to compensate is to give you a Thursday episode to stay on the schedule of three episodes per week. Although today and yesterday's episodes are back to back, but I'm sure you wouldn't mind listening to me for a second day in a row. Hopefully, hopefully it stays really nice out right now. It's very cloudy, a little bit of a chill. It's like low 50s. And yes, I'm outside again. Sun has yet to peek out all too much because of the clouds. But nonetheless, it is very nice and refreshing to be outside. And it is quite comfortable in like a little pullover hoodie, shorts, slippers. I got the whole thing going. So like I said yesterday, anything over like 45 and into the 50s is summer. And that's exactly what it feels like right now, or at least it will later today when it reaches the low 60s in the Rhode Island area. And I believe all of New England or just about most of New England will be upper 50s, low 60s today. So bless up to a day that feels like it is summer. It is so good to hopefully be out of the depression that we call winter and into the ecstasy that we call warm weather, spring, summer, whatever. Anyways, let's just dive into some interesting quite interesting quick hits so i just want to start off with a little uh, nba chatter that the san antonio spurs and power forward center lamarcus aldridge have mutually agreed to part waves uh the two sides have agreed on a buyout which will make la lamarcus aldridge a free agent uh quite a few years ago at, at this point now he left portland to go to san antonio he played with tim duncan i believe in his last season duncan's last season so he's been with the Spurs for a while now, and I remember, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, that uh, LaMarcus Aldridge or maybe Damian Lillard said that they would like to finish their career together. I, quite frankly, don't see Damian Lillard leaving Portland anytime soon. So could that mean LaMarcus Aldridge is going back to Portland to help out the Trail Blazers in the Western Conference? Possibly. I've heard around the block that other teams could be interested in him as well, such as Dallas, Los Angeles, the Knicks, the Nets, the Heat, the Raptors, but not the Celtics. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I would personally love to have LaMarcus Aldridge on my team. I think he would be very well for what you want. He can be a uh, back-to-the-basket kind of big man. He can be a face-up big man if you want. He can stretch the floor a little bit. He's got a nice shot, and he plays very good defense. Uh, generally speaking, very good defense. I know he's kind of slipped off a little bit this year, but it is what it is. I think you would try to make something happen to obtain a player like LaMarcus Aldridge because that's not going to make your team worse in comparison to what you have. I think it's only going to make your team better in comparison to what you have right now. It brings you a veteran experience who's been predominantly in the playoffs for most of his career, whether it was with Portland or San Antonio. Although he hasn't won anything, it would be nice to have a player like LaMarcus Aldridge on your team for the experience, the size, the defense, the shot. I think he's not as good as he once was, but he brings all of the tools that you want in a versatile toolbox player. And I really think that the Celtics should try to be in on LaMarcus Aldridge because if he goes to the Knicks, if he goes to the Nets, if he goes to the Heat, or even the, um, the Raptors, you're cooked. You're porked. You're toast. You're like the burnt toast that I made this morning. You're done. Because you're not going to be able to keep up with the star players. I have a fuzz on my microphone. Hold on. There we go. Because you're not going to be able to keep up with the star talent that is around you that other teams have in the Eastern Conference. It's just not going to happen. And if he ends up going to the Lakers, we'll consider any hope for a potential championship to truly be over. Because say you are lucky enough to get out of the Eastern Conference. Once AD comes back and then you throw in LaMarcus Aldridge into that mix, it's over. But, I mean, the Lakers have bigger problems than just bringing in LaMarcus Aldridge as it is right now. But I really think that the Celtics should be in and after LaMarcus Aldridge due to the reasons that I said. You can't let other teams get a player like this. Staying with basketball, we're going to be looking at your Boston Celtics really quickly. And it came out yesterday that Marcus Smart will and is expected to play against the Brooklyn Nets in tonight's uh, return from the All-Star break. Smart has been out for roughly a month due to a calf injury, I believe it was. Ugh, I forget what it is, a calf, quad, leg injury, let's just call it. And he has been cleared by doctors. And like I said last night, he reported that he will and is expected to play tonight against the Nets. Hopefully... The Celtics have been playing decently well the past few games prior to the All-Star break. I'm still not going to talk too much about them, but it is noteworthy to say that they are playing decently well, and it's good to have a Marcus Smart come back. Now, with the trade deadline rapidly approaching in the National Basketball Association, which it is on March 5th, March 25th, excuse me, the Danny Ainge and the Celtics cannot look at it, look at the roster this way. Ooh, we're getting Marcus Smart back around the trade deadline. We have we have been without him for an extended period of time, and we've been playing like whatever. Ooh, Marcus Smart is coming back, and that is essentially us acquiring another player. Ooh, we don't have to make any trades at the trade deadline because we are essentially acquiring Marcus Smart for free, hence coming back from injury. No, 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 you cannot do that. You cannot have that mentality. And I say this because a few years ago when the Celtics had Avery Bradley, I believe it was his last year in Boston, he was also out with an injury. I forget what he was injured with at the time. He was out for like one to two months. He comes back around the all, uh, around the trade deadline, I think like right before it. And Danny Ainge had the mentality like, ooh, Avery Bradley just missed an extended period of time. 
Ooh, Avery Bradley is coming back right around the trade deadline. Ooh, we've been playing without Avery Bradley, like whatever. Ooh, we basically acquired Avery Bradley for free since he's coming back from injury. Ooh, we don't need to go out and trade for anybody. Well, Celtics end up going out and losing to the Cleveland Cavaliers that year, four games to one in the Eastern Conference Finals. So obviously, if you went out and traded for a player, I can't recollect who was available at the time or yet yet alone who was decently good at the time besides a few named players. But either way, it could have helped you in the series. Not going to sit here and say that, oh, trading for a player X would have helped you beat the Cavaliers that year. I think the Cavaliers were on a mission regardless. But it is what it is. You cannot have that mentality going into this trade deadline, especially when there has been so much backlash on the team as a whole throughout the entirety of the season. (sighs) One more. One more. I promise. Just one more quick hit. Quick hits. Yesterday, the Texas Rangers organization announced that they will be at 100% occupancy at Globe Life Field for opening day 2021. This is good news to hear for baseball, for sports, as we hopefully push through what is left of COVID-19, coronavirus. Obviously, we must still proceed with caution. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that COVID is over and done with, that we should move on and live our lives normally again. I'm just saying it is a good sign to see. It is showing us that there's light at the end of the tunnel. I know Texas is one of a handful of states that are announcing that they are lifting their mask mandation. And this, you know, having the Texas Rangers announce that they will be at 100% occupancy for opening day is, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, they should or they shouldn't be due to COVID-19 regulations, whatever. I'm just saying, generally speaking, coming from a sports fan and someone who wishes society was back to what we normally thought that it was before COVID-19, but it is a good sign that there is light at the end of the tunnel in regards to sports and society. That's all I'm going to say about it, but hopefully and potentially we can see other MLB teams or other sport teams such as the NHL and the NBA also come up to whether it could be 50% at least. I know with basketball and hockey that they are indoors, so it's a little more difficult. However, baseball is an outdoor stadium. However, Globe Life Park in Texas is an indoor stadium, so it is, you know, like what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Inside, outside, what is it? So just a little food for thought as we gain momentum towards living a normal or getting back to living in a normal society. Hopefully, like I said, we can see more stadiums, more parks, more arenas open up their facilities, whether it be 20, 50, 75, 100% occupancy, whatever it may be. So congratulations to the Texas Rangers for taking the first step, a first hard step in sports. Moving on to our topics for the day. We have a handful of topics, and I'm very excited to go into these because it is quite, quite interesting topics let me tell you so i want to first dive into what was released last night and that was the uh, nfl releasing and distributing its compensation picks for nfl teams who have lost players so in order to receive a compensatory selection in the nfl draft you have to lose you know a bunch of i don't want to say a bunch of players but you have to lose some players and they have to have a significant impact on the team that they go to however you also need to acquire players in efforts to replace them so for example if you lose six players but you gain three players then you 
kind of walk away with one or two picks. If you lose 10 players and you gain only two back, you'll probably get three picks. It's an odd, weird formula that I'm not even sure what it means or how to come up with one. However, the NFL distributed compensatory picks for this coming draft. And I do want to say, I do want to say that I believe in 2000, Tom Brady was a compensatory pick at 199. And after a quick little research, yes, he was compensatory. He was a compensatory pick that the Patriots used to select at 199. So that is something worth noting, you know, moving forward, you know, with this draft and the news of the Patriots receiving their compensatory picks. So just to brush up on the what the league gave the Patriots for this coming April's draft, the Patriots were assigned a compensatory selection in the third round, pick 33, which is 96th overall. So that is the highest compensatory selection that a team can be given. Obviously, compensatory picks don't start until after the end of the assigned 32 picks in the third round. So pick 33 in the third round, a.k.a. 96th overall, is the highest a team can be rewarded. And I think that's very fitting, granted that they uh, lost Tom Brady and then Tom Brady goes out and wins a, uh, a Super Bowl for the Bucks, right? Um, other notables that the Patriots lost was Kyle Van Noy, Landon Roberts. <sighs> I mean, I don't think they were in kind of in consideration for, for that compensatory pick. I think that was kind of solely on Brady, obviously not really replacing him with uh, much this past season. Anyways, the second and final compensatory pick that the league rewarded the Patriots was in the fourth Round the end of the fourth round, pick 34, 139 overall. So this is the second highest compensatory pick in the fourth round that is given. Obviously, pick 33 in the fourth round would be the highest given. Like I said, I'm still not too familiar with the formula. It's very complicated. It's just based off of how many players you lose and those lost players' impact on their new teams compared to players that you brought in. It's an odd formula. It's just like... It's just like trying to figure out war, honestly. Uh, anyways, I will just kind of briefly list the entire draft capital and all of the 2021 draft assets that the Patriots will have for this coming draft. And it is as followed. Round 1, pick 15, 15th overall. Round 2, pick 15, 47th overall. Round 3, pick 33, 96th overall. That is a compensatory pick. Round 4, pick 15, 121 overall. Round 4, pick 34, 139 overall. That is also a compensatory pick. Round 5, pick 15, 159 overall. Round 6, pick 13, 195 overall. That is from Dallas when the Patriots traded the Dallas Cowboys' Michael Bennett last uh, two years ago at this point. Round 6, pick 15, 197 overall. And round 7, pick 15, 243 overall. So if I didn't have a note at the end of it, like a compensatory or from the Dallas Cowboys, like I mentioned with a few picks, they are all the Patriots assigned picks from where they placed this season. Obviously, pick 15 in each round because they were in the middle of the pack, a.k.a. they sucked terrible. So what does this mean for the Patriots? They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine total draft picks this coming draft. Very good. I would consider that some decent draft capital. Obviously, a lot of it's in the later rounds. Uh, you got two fours, a five, two sixes, and a seven, as you only have one, two, and one, one. What can the Patriots do? Well, they can obviously try to use those sixes to trade up into five, maybe four. They can use those fours to try to trade up to three, maybe the end of two. Who knows? 
It just going to kind of depends on what other teams are feeling with their pick at that spot. You've seen the Patriots trade back before. Obviously, most notable last draft, they trade out of their first round pick to gain a second round pick and a third round pick, I believe it was, or a fourth round pick from the Chargers. I hope, hopefully, we don't see the Patriots trade back at all. If anything, they need to kind of take these later round assets and push them forward if they can. If they can take one and maybe maybe that fourth round compensatory pick or you probably have to do a third round pick, the third round compensatory pick, try to move up a little bit in the first round, that would be nice. But it's ultimately going to come down to what Bill Belichick is feeling that day. If he's in a good mood, we might get a trade up. If he's in a bad mood, we might see him trade down. Who knows? Hopefully... Uh, the meme of the year last year for the draft was his dog Nike at the computer when the Patriots were shown selecting, or I guess at that point, you know, trading the pick. And it was so funny just to see the dog sit there so nicely like a good boy uh, at Bill Belichick's uh, war desk or war office from uh, Nantucket, that wherever his house is in Nantucket. You know what I'm trying to say. But, yes, these are the Patriots' nine selections for the upcoming draft. You know, it's really hard to – to determine what they should do with that 15th overall pick in the first round. I've been saying trying to trade up. I've been saying take a quarterback. It seems like all five quarterbacks will be gone in the first round. It seems like the quarterback's value from the top five picks, or the top five quarterbacks, I should say, are drastically moving up higher and higher. As we can see, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going to be going at one. If the Jets trade Sam Darnold, you can expect them to take a quarterback at number two. Uh, the Dolphins at number three don't technically need a quarterback, but we'll definitely certainly see what they do with that pick if they try to trade it, whether it's for Deshaun Watson or whatever. But you can expect them to probably, I don't think they would take a quarterback with three. Atlanta at four, interesting, but you could also see them take a quarterback to try to you know plan for the future with Matt Ryan or try to push their chips into one basket and push forward with what they have right there. Obviously, Matt Ryan's not the problem in Atlanta. It's the defense. Their defense blows. But honestly, then you look at the Panthers later on. They need a quarterback. The Broncos could potentially need a quarterback. You've seen the 49ers try to you know move up and get a quarterback. So it's... Ugh. Who knows? It, it's really hard. And if there's no quarterbacks available and the Patriots stay pat at 15, well, then shame on Bill. That was the terrible, terrible decision. But come 15, if a wide receiver is still available, whether it's Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith, and I've seen, I've actually seen, believe it or not, um, I don't know if it was a mock draft or just like a, like a best available or whatever, where Devontae Smith was all the way down at 15. I don't believe that. There's no way the Heisman winner for this past year is going to drop all the way down to 15. I mean, obviously we've seen Heisman winners kind of fall in the draft before, but I just I don't I don't think so. I I just I just don't see it. I mean, you see a lot of mock drafts. He's up in the top five, top eight maybe. No no lower than the top ten. But to fall to 15, wh- what? I could see Jalen Waddle falling down to 15, but I certainly can't see. Devonte Smith falling down to 15 but anyways I've also seen um, Penn State's middle linebacker Micah Parsons also fall to 15 I don't know if that's a fall to 15 he's probably around that area where he should be selected I personally would love that pick to be honest obviously not my number one or not what I'm hoping for like I said quarterback maybe wide receiver would be nice but you know if the Patriots land Micah Parsons 
that would help solidify the middle linebacking core. That would help solidify the front seven. He's very athletic. He's versatile inside, outside. He can cover. He's just, you know, probably, probably the best linebacker in the draft class for this year. And I would certainly have no problem if the Patriots were able to pick him up only, only if they were able to address potential other needs, such as maybe signing a wide receiver, trading for a quarterback, whatever. If that's the case, then let's go, let's go draft Micah Parsons. But if not, and the Patriots sit on their hands during free agency, which it looks like they potentially and probably would do like they do almost every year, then they kind of have to make a move that's not Micah Parsons with their 15th overall pick. What is my dog doing? Bogey, what are you doing? Are you digging? Okay. Well, like I said, I'm outside right now, and I am with Bogey. We're outside hanging out, being bros, doing what bros do. And I'm recording a podcast, and he is digging in dirt. So boys will be boys, as they say. And, ooh, it's getting a little chilly now. A little chilly. I wonder if the microphone's picking up the birds that are chirping. There are some, uh, oh, I guess a ton of birds that are chirping. And I guess when I listen to uh, the playback, we will see. We will see. Anyways, like that, like I said, to kind of wrap up the Patriots draft selection, um, there are nine picks, one in the first, one in the second, one in the third, two in the fourth, one in the fifth, two in the sixth, and one in the seventh rounds, respectively. We will have to see how things play out in regards to potential trades, whether the Patriots are going to try to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, trade for another player, or just sit on their hands come free agency or and not trade. But it's certainly going to be interesting nonetheless because of the compensatory picks. I feel like the Patriots made out very well in terms of what the league rewarded them. But that could get better. Their draft capital or their draft asset assets excuse me for this draft could get better and how could it get better well obviously the compensatory picks have been given out so the only way to get better draft capital is you guessed it through trade and there is a rumor that spewed up last night when i was uh, perusing through twitter looking for some topics and looking for some uh, talking points and i saw that the patriots or I should say that teams are reaching out to the Patriots in regard to wide receiver Nikhil Harry. And I, when I first read that, I was like, whoa, whoa, really? Why? Then I think to myself, the former first-round pick, and he's going into year three. So far, he's been an absolute bust. First year, he was injured. Second year, he shows some nice signs. And now, I mean, he finished the season. Eh. I mean, Jacoby Myers, undrafted wide receiver, did better than him. Let's be honest. But I'm personally against trading former first-round picks unless the contract's coming up and you're not going to extend them, so you try to get something in return. You've seen the Jets do that with Jamal Adams. You've seen the Rams do that with uh, – not the Rams, sorry. The uh, Jaguars do that with Jalen Ramsey to the Rams. And it's just like he's nowhere near that kind of caliber player. So if you try to trade Nikhil Harry, you're not going to get a first-round pick back. Who in their right mind would trade their first-round pick, whether it's this year or a future first, for Nikhil Harry? I mean, you need wide receiver depth. So he's a wide receiver, so that kind of helps you right there. Regardless of his skill set, he gives you depth. 
But if you can get maybe a second, I'm pulling that trigger. I'm pulling the trigger. Getting a second round draft pick for Nikhil Harry. Obviously, he's still young. He's got some work to be done. He'll have two more years on his contract for the new team. He'll have a first round. Uh, he'll have being a first round fifth year uh, rookie option. So after the four years, the team can decide to extend him with the fifth year option, which is only given to first round picks. But ugh, who would give a second round pick for him, though? Like, let's be honest. But you know, there are some good signs. He's he's tall. He's big. He's aggressive. He's physical. Um, there was an end-around play that he's done a few times, and he you know, can open it up, cutting around the corner, around the edge. He's got a nice little quick burst of speed, but he hasn't put all of it together. We've seen flashes of this. We've seen flashes of that. But we just haven't seen all of it put together yet. And maybe a team that's trading a potential second-round pick would see that and be like, huh. We like these individual skill sets. We think our wide receiver coach, our offensive coordinator, or our quarterback could help sharpen those, make them better. Maybe we got a veteran wide receiver who can tutor and mentor Nikhil Harry. So maybe for that team, especially if it's a late round second, uh, late pick in the second round, it'd be worth it to them. And it'd be worth it to the Patriots because if you can take a, what seems like a bust first round pick and get a second round pick for him, then yippee. Because... The chances that he continues and remains to be a bust are significantly higher than if he works out and pans out like the first-round pick that he's supposed to be. Now, first-round picks are supposed to have significant impact on your team in year one, with the exception of backup quarterbacks. Obviously, you've seen Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers get drafted in the first round, but they have been backups their first couple years. Or you've seen quarterbacks like Joe Burrow. Uh, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, all start week one, uh, not week one, or at least start in year one, I should say. Mitchell Trubisky, he started in year one. Uh, Deshaun Watson starts in year one. So obviously, you know, there's some good names and bad names, but usually first round picks. I mean, I could I could go to other positions, but, you know, getting, I'm getting sidetracked here. But he hasn't made, at the end of the day, Nikhil Harry hasn't made an impact in year one nor year two kind of kind of give him a pass on year one since he was injured a little bit when he came back didn't really shine you could say oh Brady didn't trust him oh Brady didn't throw to him whatever sure sure that's a valid argument for against uh I guess for Nikhil Harry but still but still what about year two rather healthy Cam Newton threw him the ball but he still just didn't wow me like I said Jacoby Myers outperformed him. So if I can take a bust of a first-round pick, turn it into a second-round pick, then hypothetically I can just go on the streets after the draft and bring in a wide receiver who's going to do more production and give you more. I mean, that's a power move from Bill Belichick right there. Obviously, it's easier said than done, but just look at it. Just look at it for you know a little weird face value right there. Jacoby Myers, undrafted wide receiver, is outperforming Nikhil Harry, a first-round pick. WTF. <laughs> like I said, easier said than done. But if you can trade Nikhil Harry, get a second-round pick, and then just you know draft another wide receiver, or just wait till you know the, after the draft to pick someone up off the streets, that's a win because then you can use that second-round pick to address another need for your team, whether it's potentially maybe getting a quarterback in the second round, getting another wide receiver, getting another you know. D end or you know D lineman, 
the options are virtually endless if you trade Nikhil Harry for a second round pick. And I keep and I keep saying a second round pick for this reason. Because I don't want the Patriots to trade Nikhil Harry for anything. Anything less than a second round pick. Because I just don't think it would be worth it for the Patriots. I think you'd be better off keeping the depth wide receiver that you currently have, who's now entering his third year into your system, who still has all the skills to be a successful wide receiver. It's just not all there yet. So therefore, if you can you know, kind of sharpen those skills, give him a nice full healthy season, whether it's another season with Cam Newton, whether it's another year in the system, but just take all those factors into consideration it just doesn't seem like it's worthwhile or worth it, just period, to trade him for less than a third-round pick because obviously a third-round pick, those middle picks kind of start to turn into potential starters or you know far-shot starters, uh, backups, role players, whatever. And I don't think Nikhil Harry is his value, at least giving him away, is worth a backup, a potential you know far-shot starter on what you know, the secondary so i mean give him another year i really think this is the year though obviously training camp is going to be massive who else you bring in at the position is going to be very critical in in terms of whether we trade him we could just straight up cut him at the end of training camp we will just have to wait and see there so i know i'm uh i'm almost 30 minutes in and I do kind of want to be conscious of the time because I have to get ready to go for a flight. But I want to make sure. Bogey, will you stop? I'm trying to do something. My dog is being that annoying right now. Bogey, stop. So, anyways, one thing that I also saw on Twitter is that Sox manager Alex Cora said that starting pitcher Tanner Hawk will be a starter in the majors or in the minors. And he will not transition to a relief pitching role. A relief pitcher role. I love this because last year when Tanner Huck came up to the big leagues um, during the COVID-shortened season, he's only pitched one game so far this spring, and it's not been the best of games, which kind of leads me to believe that he will be in the minors to start the season. Uh, Excuse me, two games, and he won one. But I just don't – I think he will be a good starter. He has a lot of potential. Uh, Red Sox really like him, and – He's probably one of our best uh, pitching prospects that we have left. Obviously, we've moved a lot of prospects over the years, and he's one that has stayed. And I think we should just keep him as a starting pitcher regardless because Chris Sales coming back from Tommy John, what is he going to be? Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back from his uh, heart condition with COVID-19. What is he going to be? Um, there's just so many questions. Garrett Richardson's clearly not working out so far this year. So having as many starting pitchers available to you is going to be an added plus. Starting pitchers can always go back, go to being relievers. Relievers can't always go back to being starters. So keeping them as a starter, maybe having them be in the minor leagues to start the season when an injury comes up or you know a move needs to be made, then you can uh, bring them up when he's playing better, once he kind of gets more innings under his belt at a higher level. I just don't think taking a talent such as his and putting it in the bullpen is the best of ideas, especially when starting pitching has been and is a major concern for your team. With that being said, I love what uh, Alex Cora said in regards to Tanner Hawk about he will be a starter regardless if it's in the majors or the minors. And him saying that, him saying whether it's in the majors or the minors gives me some hope and gives me some optimism that Cora likes him 
to the point where he could make the opening day roster. I mean, I don't think all five starting pitching spots are filled yet. And I'd love to I'd certainly like to see Tanner Hawk on there at some point, maybe not to start the season, like I said, maybe give him a few games in the minor leagues, wait for an injury, wait for something to pop up where he needs to come up to start. With that being said, with that being said, keeping with the Red Sox, as we get, you know, closer and closer to opening day, you know, spring training games are coming and going. I do kind of want to run a little activity, not really an activity, but I want to kind of give you my Red Sox opening day roster, or I should say opening day lineup predictions. Uh, This is something I love doing at the beginning of every year is to just kind of break down what I think will be the Sox starting nine with positions for opening day 2021. I'm very excited to do this because there's a lot of players that could, you know, make the team. There's a lot of players that could not make the team. Who's going to play where? But I think what I came up with is very logical uh, based off of, you know, past performance, spring performance, what the Red Sox have to work with. And I will give you my reasons on why these players will be starting or I'll give you a few players that just missed the cut, and I will explain why as we wrap up this episode. So start, Bogey, will you stop? Get away from me. I'm trying to record here, bro, and you're like wrapping me up like an AT-AT from Star Wars. Anyways, yes, because I have him, I have him on my on his leash, and you know he keeps wrapping around my ankles with his leash. But I'm getting sidetracked yet again from Bogey, and he's got a stick. Okay, he's cute when he has a stick. All right, so anyways, center fielder, Alex Verdugo. I think he's going to be a staple, obviously, with Jackie Bradley Jr. now gone for good, thankfully. Alex Verdugo uh, is probably your best remaining pure outfielder. Yes, you have J.D. Martinez, but he's not going to be playing center field. He'll be your DH. Kind of gave away another one, but either way, Alex Verdugo's young. He's a star. He's a stud. He played very well last year for the Red Sox. He seems to be growing and growing as a fan favorite, and I think you know him playing in center field is perfect. Moving on to shortstop is Xander Bogarts, as I was just bitching and complaining about my dog, Bogey. Uh, yes, I think Bogarts will be um, batting number two, obviously, at shortstop. He is a 30 home run, 100 RBI threat who can hit 300. I think that kind of player across MLB is starting to become your two hitter instead of your three or four. I think Bogarts brings both speed, a great eye at the plate, contact power, and all that good stuff to the two hole. With Benintendi now gone, Alexander Bogarts vaults himself up to the two spot where I think he will have a very good, successful 2021 campaign. Number three, J.D. Martinez. He's uh, you know, he's jack of all trades when it comes to hitting, whether it's pulling the ball straight away, opposite field, contact, doubles, power, home runs, you name it. He can draw walks. He's got a great eye. He's got everything you want in a hitter. And I think that will serve very well at the three spot where – Raphael Devers, third baseman, will be in the cleanup position. I love what I see from Devers when players uh, get on base. He can drive the ball. He can hit the ball for contact and power, similar to Bogarts and Martinez. He doesn't have that great you know, eye, that great awareness just yet. That's why I have him at the four spot, so hopefully J.D. Martinez can either advance or drive in Verdugo and Bogarts, where Raphael Devers, who is still sharpening his skills as a hitter, can kind of take advantage of having those three in front of him 
behind him in the fifth spot is first baseman Michael Chavis. So there has been rumors Michael Chavis, first base, second base, left field or whatever. I think based off of everything right now, I think he would serve best as your first baseman. He has a lot of pop in his bat. He can really, really crush the ball. He is versatile, like I said, second base or um, natural position is also third base as well. But Devers is there. But he's had some time in left field, which I am completely against, by the way. Just keep him in the infield. Uh, he has a lot of great pop. He's a great personality kind of guy. He's still growing and learning to be you know, a major league hitter. This is going to be his third year with the team. And thus far, I liked what I've seen from him in not only the spring, but just in the past as well. He's currently hitting 415 at-bats. I think in the five spot, giving him the full-time nod at first base will be very exceptional and I think well-deserving for both the Red Sox and Chavis. Number six, second baseman Marwin Gonzalez. So this is a little odd one. Uh, you've seen Marwin Gonzalez play very well so far throughout the spring. He's been all over the diamond, whether it's at first base, second base, shortstop, outfield. Uh, he's a jack-of-all-trades. He's like a Brock Holt, but he can hit better than Brock Holt. And I really think this acquisition of Marwin Gonzalez is awesome. I really do. You could also put him um, in the outfield, like I said. You can put someone else at second base, Enrique Hernandez, maybe. But I really think that Christian, um, Christian, Marwin Gonzalez is going to be your opening day second baseman. Or, like I said, you can throw him in the outfield. But either way, I think he's going to be your starting second baseman. That's where I move to left field. What the? Something just fell. Oh, a, a garden light just fell. So sorry for that noise. Like I said, I'm going into this raw. No cuts, no edits, just straight raw. Going to your seven hitter. I got Enrique Hernandez playing left field. Uh, you could throw him in right field as well, but I have him in left field just to kind of cover myself if him and Marwin Gonzalez kind of flip-flop. Um, they're both versatile. They both can play all over the infield, all over the outfield. So I do have Marwin Gonzalez and Enrique Hernandez both being able to be flip-flopped, whether it's second base and left field. But that is kind of I have them at they are, where they are right now because I like what I see from Gonzalez in the infield and I've liked what I've seen from Enrique Hernandez in the outfield. Whether they uh, switch positions, whether they you know play different positions, I can foresee one, but most likely both of them in your starting day lineup. That just gives you so much more flexibility when it comes to maybe pinch hitting or you know moving players around because you needed a pinch runner off the bench and you know say you have an outfielder going in for Christian Vasquez you can move you know you can put Enrique Hernandez or I should say you're bringing in a speedy infielder in for a slow outfielder say JD Martinez well that doesn't matter because he's a DH <laughs> either way either way it just gives you so much flexibility and this would be a great situation and a great ideal, ideal situation for the Red Sox if they were in the National League because the pitchers would hit. There's no DHs. But either way, either way, I'm kind of rambling and ranting. Both of them will be in your starting day lineup, second base and left field. Moving to the eighth spot, I have Christian Vasquez. Um, I do like what I see from Christian Vasquez. He has been a great hitter as of late. In regards to 2019, 2020, a little bit in 2018 as well during the World Series run. But ultimately, I think a lot of the other hitters in front of him 
are more pure hitters or straight up better hitters than him. He's more of a defensive catcher, defensive orientated backstop. So that's why I have Christian Vasquez so low in my lineup. Absolutely could see him creeping up to the seven, six spot in the lineup, bearing, you know, performance, of course. Moving on to your right fielder, batting ninth is Hunter Renfro. Uh, you could also see him coming off the bench. You could see someone else in there as well. Jaron Duran, uh, Yaro Munez. But as of right now, I think it will be Hunter Renfro. Might have to depend on line uh, matchup, lefty, righties, or whatever. So that's who I have as my predicted starting nine for your Boston Red Sox. Starting pitcher, can't forget about this one, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yep, I have Eduardo Rodriguez projected as my opening day starter. You could throw um, Ethan Uvalde in there as well. But I think, you know, Rodriguez has deserved and earned an opening day nod, not only for coming back from his little heart condition with uh, COVID-19, but just based off of performance in general as well. I think he is your um, secondary ace behind Chris Sale. But with Chris Sale still out due to Tommy John, I think Eduardo Rodriguez vaults himself up into that position. So that is my opening day roster, uh, my opening day lineup for your Boston Red Sox. We'll just recap it real quick. Center fielder, Alex Verdugo. Shortstop, Alexander Bogarts. DH, J.D. Martinez. Third baseman, Rafael Devers. First baseman, Michael Chavis. Second baseman, Marwin Gonzalez. Left fielder, Enrique Hernandez. Catcher, Christian Vasquez. Right fielder, Hunter Renfro. Starting pitcher, Eduardo Rodriguez. Now, I did kind of allude to the fact that, you know, some players will be left off of my starting nine, and one of them is Jaron Duran. I feel like he'll either be your fourth or fifth outfielder on the team or maybe start in AAA just to sharpen his skills. But I really think he should and could make the opening day roster. You could replace him with Hunter Renfro in the outfield, throw him towards the bottom of the lineup, and just get him going. He is, I believe, 24 years old. So, I mean, time is starting to tick on him. So replacing him with Hunter Renfro, I have absolutely no problem with. Uh, Maybe starting the season slow with him on the major league roster and then eventually vaulting himself into the starting position in the outfield is also very possible and very ideal for him as well. I also left off Bobby Dahlbeck, although he's having a tremendous, absolutely tremendous spring training. I think he'll be finding himself in a very similar position to what Chris Bryant and the Cubs went through. I believe 2015, I think it was, maybe 2016. That was the year they won the World Series. Was he a rookie that year? I don't remember if Chris Bryant was a rookie the year the Cubs won the World Series. Anyways, in 2015 or 2016, um, Chris Bryant, third baseman for the Cubs, best prospect in all of baseball at the time, didn't make the opening day roster, but found himself back on the big league team in like a couple weeks, like a month or so. And we could totally see that with Bobby Dahl back based off of others' performance, based off of injuries, whatever may come up. And you could absolutely see him in the lineup come May, maybe June. I think that would be very ideal for him. Just give him a little bit more time in AAA to face, you know, almost big league pitching. I think he would be kind of pointless uh, being sat on your bench because you have Michael Chavis, Raphael Devers in front of him. If you want to go with Bobby Dahlbeck at first base and Michael Chavis at second base, Marwin Gonzalez on the bench and then Enrique Hernandez in the outfield, you could absolutely do that as well. As much as I'm against it, you could put Michael Chavis in the outfield and then you could have... Marwin Gonzalez or Enrique Hernandez at second, putting Bobby Dahlbeck at first base. 
as much as I would hate that, I could see that as well. So there are a ton of options and a ton of flexibility with Michael Chavis, Enrique Hernandez, and Marlon Gonzalez. I know I have both of them in my starting day lineup right here, right now, but I truthfully wouldn't be opposed to one of them starting and one of them being on the bench. I think that would be the most ideal. So you could have one of them come in for someone else on um, in the starting lineup and have no problem filling in for that position unless it's catcher, obviously. So uh, my dog is starting to whine and cry. I think he wants to go in. He might be thirsty or maybe even a little hungry for a lunchtime snack. So I'm going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Yes, it was on Thursday. However, with my trip to Florida coming up this weekend, I have a flight later today, I had to make sure that I got an episode out for you to enjoy, for you to listen, for you to download, and hopefully the outside natural uh, chatter or noise wasn't too effective on the audio quality, birds chirping, cars driving by, bogey, crying, barking, playing, or whatever it may be. With all that being said, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I kind of forgot about forgot this. I forgot to mention this. At the beginning of the podcast, beginning of the episode, I forgot to mention, I am your host, James Murphy, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Murphs underscore Boston ST. Forgot to say that. Feels so weird saying it this late into the episode. <laughs> Either way, thank you so much for joining me. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Murphs underscore Boston ST. I am your host, James Murphy, aka Murph, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for supporting. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And until Monday, we have a long weekend ahead of us between now and next episode. Hopefully, a lot of sports news, hopefully, a lot of sports rumors and topics uh, surface. Big Celtics game tonight. Bruins got a big weekend coming up. We'll see what the Patriots do as free agency gets closer and closer. But until next time, until Monday's action-packed episode, which I can already foresee it being, I will see you later. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.